0: We're going to finish Chapter 2 tonight, The Danger of Asceticism. Before we start, I want to pray because we haven't prayed yet, and then we will get right in. And we are going to finish Chapter 2 tonight, the Lord willing. Father, thank you so much for each of these ladies that um, is here this evening. I do ask for those who are not well, and we know there's a lot of illnesses going around in our community. I just pray that you would strengthen them, that you would be their comfort, that um, they would draw near to you even in their bed of affliction, Father. I pray for our time together tonight that it would be centered around Christ, that you would give um, aid to me as I teach, and I pray that you would give aid to these ladies as they listen, and also, Father, that you would give that same aid as we go into our small groups for discussion Thank you for the epistle to the Colossians. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Most of all, thank you for Christ, our Savior. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Well, as I've mentioned, we've come to our final lesson in Colossians chapter 2, and that is a twofold warning to the church, the warning against legalism and mysticism. That was our lesson from last week. Or from November, I'm sorry. Remember, Paul warned them last time we met not to let anyone judge them regarding diets and days, or to persuade them to be involved in angel worship. And Paul said, as we ended last year, he warned them in the danger of observing days and diets. Is this is just a shadow of what is to come? And remember, we saw the reality is Christ. The other danger about legalism and mysticism is that it causes us to lose sight of Christ, who is the head. Ladies, he is the one who holds all things together. He is sufficient. Also, what I have noticed, people that hold on to legalism and mysticism, there is no joy in their life there is no spiritual growth in their life when they get caught up in these two heresies, these two isms, we might say. Now, we've come to the final ism. I know maybe you don't like that word, but uh, we've come to, there's three isms he warns about, and tonight we come to the final one, and that is asceticism. Now, you might be wondering, what is asceticism? Well, By the way of introduction, I want to give you a personal experience of my own, which I do not do very often, which I hope will help you understand this third ism that Paul warns us about, and that is asceticism. Early in my so-called Christian life, and I say that because I was not a believer at that time even though I thought I was, early in my so-called Christian life, I met a woman who I deeply respected, and uh, she was very thin. And I remember one time she was introducing me to another woman that I deeply respected, and she introduced me as a walker. That seemed to uh, thrill her that I exercised every day. Because I wanted to be so much like this first woman that I deeply respected, I began my journey to lose weight, thinking that this would be the key to my spiritual growth because I deeply respected this woman, and she was very, very thin. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't obese at that time by any means. Losing 5 to 10 pounds wouldn't have hurt me, but I was not overweight by any means at that time. That was over 30 years ago. The only problem was once I started to lose just 5 pounds, it was never enough, and I would not stop. I would just say, oh, five more pounds, just five more pounds, five more pounds. This went on for a good year, and I would go days and days without eating, sometimes only eating two to 300 calories a day. And I remember I became very thin to the point that my husband was concerned, and he warned me that I was doing irreversible damage to my body. My hair was falling out. My teeth were decaying. I stopped menstruating. I was pinning a size 1 jean. My daughter, who was about 7 years age at the time, I remember one time, she said, Mommy, what are those things sticking out of your back? Well those things sticking out of my back were my bones. In fact, I remember riding around in a car that time, we lived out in California, and I remember just riding in a car used to hurt my bones because I was so thin. I do thank the Lord that he used my husband, my father, and a very dear friend to awake me to what I was doing. Um, Without their confrontation, without their prayers for me, I would probably not be here today. This true illustration of my own life is a great definition of asceticism. An ascetic is someone who lives a life of rigorous self-denial. As a means to earn forgiveness with God. In fact, ladies, I will be honest with you. I really, really thought that that was the key to my spiritual growth. I had adopted the Gnostic heresy that rigid asceticism would be the key to my spiritual growth. And the reason I mentioned in the beginning so-called Christian was that even though I thought I was a believer at that time, it was not until about a year later that God saved me and I truly repented and began to view my body as he views it. Asceticism. What is it? Well, the encyclopedia describes it this way. Asceticism is a practice of self-denial of worldly pleasure in order to attain a higher degree of spirituality intellectuality, or self-awareness. Asceticism is practiced to some extent by the adherence of every religion. It often requires abstinence from food, drink, sexual activity, as in fasting or celibacy. It also may require physical pain of discomfort, such as endurance of extreme heat or cold or self-punishment. It may require withdrawal from material world to a life of meditation as in the practice of yoga, end of quote. Ladies, legalism, mysticism, and now asceticism. All three of these forms of heresy were creeping into the church at Colossae and they are creeping into the church today now. Before you take a nap and decide that this lesson has nothing to do with you, I would ask you to consider this. Everyone in this room at some time or another has practiced denial of something thinking it will earn you favor with God. That's asceticism. So let's read Colossians 2 end of the till two twenty to twenty three and see what the Holy Spirit has to say through the apostle Paul he says, therefore, if you 've died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why so living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self imposed religion. False humility, neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So we have a two-fold outline. What is asceticism according to the Bible, verses 20 and 21? And what is ascetic- why is asceticism dangerous? ...according to the Bible, verse 22 and 23. So what is it? Why is it dangerous? So let's consider what it is according to the Bible. Paul says, therefore, if you be dead with Christ... ...from the rudiments or principles of the world... ...why is O living in the world, you subject to these ordinances. Now, we've been in Bible study long enough to know... ...anytime you have a wherefore, it's there for a reason. It forces you to look back at what has already been said. Basically, what Paul is saying... In view of everything I have written thus far, in view of the fact that Christ is sufficient and you need nothing else, in view of the fact that you are dead with Christ, then why in the world do you want to go back to all that stuff? Regulations, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. In fact, the word if is actually translated in the Greek sense. It's not if they've died, since you have died with Christ. In fact, the Greek word speaks of an action in the past that has already happened. The church at Colossae, remember they're saints, they're Christians, but heresy was still creeping in to the church. Paul says, you believers have died you have died. Your old way of life is gone. Don't go back there. In fact, remember, Paul already had reminded them in verse 14 that Christ blotted out those ordinances which were against us, and he nailed them to the cross. So why do we want to take them up again? In fact, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Ladies, the death of a believer with Christ is a death to sin, a death to the law, a death to guilt, and death to to the world paul says you've died you've died to legalism you've died to mysticism you have died to asceticism so why do you want to revive it why do you want to put yourself under bondage again in fact paul goes on in galatians 2:20 to say this i've been crucified with christ It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live, I what? Live by the son of God who gave himself for me. Ladies, Paul is very clear that the children of God do not live by rules or self-denial, self-mutilation. We live by what? By faith. The just shall live by faith. Ladies, we don't live by a list of do's and don'ts. We don't live by worshiping angels, and we don't live by rigid asceticism. It is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Paul says you've died to all those isms. In fact, Paul already alluded to that in verse 12 and 13. Remember when he wrote, they'd been buried with him in baptism and risen with him to newness of life. The picture there is we've died to the old man, but we have been risen to newness of life. In fact, we learned from on our previous lessons that uh, when he talked about going back to the rudiments of the world, those were the elementary principles. Remember, one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D. Why do you want to go back to that? He says. When you can have Christ. Paul says these things are not after Christ. So he says, so since you are dead to these things, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to these regulations? Why are you following the world's way? Why are you subjecting yourself to man's rules? Why are you listening to false teachers? Now maybe you're wondering what regulations is Paul talking about. Well, the answer is found in verse 21. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Don't touch this, don't taste that, don't handle the other. Now, Paul is describing with these three, do not do, the third ism to avoid, and that is asceticism. And let me remind you again what it is. Asceticism is a man-made system of rules based on human commands and teaching, It is our attempt to achieve holiness by rigorous self-neglect, self-denial, self-infliction. In fact, history records for us some who practiced asceticism, and you know what they did? Many of them rejected marriage, they rejected sex, they rejected parenthood, and even their self. In fact, one writes, they allowed themselves no food that was pleasant to the taste. They ate dry, coarse bread and drank only water. Many of them ate nothing until sunset, and if anyone touched them who did not belong to their sect, they washed themselves as if they had been most deeply defiled. In fact, many of them abstained from sexual relationships with their mate Which is perhaps why Paul says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Some of them not only uh, abstain from sex, but they abstain from marriage altogether. And this is interesting in light of what Paul warns in 1 Timothy. Then in the last day, some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And remember what that is? Commanding what? To abstain from certain foods, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving, and to abstain from what? Marriage. Don't get married. And don't eat certain foods. Ladies, these man-made ordinances and doctrines which they had adopted were not only worthless, they're harmful. And they had crept into the church at Colossae to steal them away from Christ. Ladies, we can punish our body in such ridiculous ways, but you know what? It doesn't take care of the real problem. You know what the real problem is? It's our heart, right? It's our mind. God is interested in a transformed mind, not a buff body. God is interested in a regenerated heart, not rigorous affliction to your body. You know, Paul even says in first, first Timothy bodily exercise profits a little and it does profit. You know, I, I do walk and it is the days I don't walk. I'm more sluggish than the days I, I don't walk. I bodily exercise profits a little, but he says godliness is profitable for what? Not only this life, but the life to come. Another verse to keep in mind is Romans fourteen seventeen. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Ladies, these latter things, righteousness, peace, joy, those are the things we should be pursuing, right? Not legalism, not mysticism, not asceticism. If you want to grow in Christ in 2018, it will only come through the things of the Holy Spirit, not a mystical spirit. So, what is asceticism according to the Bible? It is regulations that require one to not touch, not taste, not handle. Now, Paul now shifts to why asceticism is dangerous. According to the Bible, ladies, do we really understand what's going to happen to all those man-made rules? Do you know they're all going to perish? Look what he says in verse 22, which all concern things, which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Paul says this, all this stuff is going to perish. It's going to corrupt. It's going to decay. And notice he says, all are going to perish. Not just some, all this stuff. In fact, we know from Second Peter, the whole world is going to burn up. Peter says in Second Peter, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Everything is going to burn up. In fact, he says, seeing that these things are going to happen, what manner of people ought we to be in holy living and godliness, realizing one day this earth is going to burn up. Ladies, all this stuff is going to burn up. So why are we so insistent on being involved with such nonsense? Peter says the same thing Paul says. All of it is going to perish. Paul says the kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Ladies, we should be focusing on things that will last, like the word of God and the souls of men. Our things, our focus should be on the eternal, not the temporal. Paul says in Second Corinthians four eighteen, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen, the things we can see now are temporal. The things that we cannot see are what? They are eternal. Now, notice, Paul goes on to say these things will perish with the using. What does that mean? The idea here, ladies, is that all of these ism, mysticism, legalism, asceticism, all this is going to be used up, burned up, as Peter would say. Paul goes on to say these things are not only going to be used up, but he says these things are after the commandments and doctrines of what? Men, they're not of God. Ladies, man-made rules are of men, not of God. God is not interested in rules. He's interested in your heart. In fact, Isaiah mentions the same problem in his day. He says, the people honor me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. Listen to what else he says. Their fear toward me is taught by commandments of men men ladies it was going on in isaiah's day it was going on in peter's day and in paul's day and it's going on in our day ladies following commandments of men is a far cry from following the heart of god that's why i believe it's important for us to spend the bulk of our time and energy on the inward woman not the outward woman so why are all these things of no use? Why shouldn't I practice self-denial by not touching, not tasting, not handling? Notice what Paul says. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglecting of the body, but they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know, these things, if you if you can follow a list of do's and don'ts, it has an appearance of humility, doesn't it? Or self-righteousness or holiness, or false humility, Paul says. They have an appearance of that I'm holier than you. They make us appear religious. They make us appear humble, but really it only inflates our pride. In fact, I know people who measure the spiritual value of other Christians by what they weigh on a bathroom scale. I'll never forget this. This really did happen. This person's not alive anymore, so I can tell on them. But I remember a woman one time telling me that she was trying to find a new church and she pulled up to the church parking lot and uh, she waited to see, you know, as people got out of their cars and said she noticed many people were overweight by her standard. So she drove away and went back home. And she told me, she actually told me I could never go to a church where people are overweight. My friend, this is not wisdom. This is judgmentalism. So Paul says it's not only an appearance of wisdom, but Paul says it's a self-imposed religion. This is a religion that someone devises and prescribes for himself. That's what Paul is saying. It is self-imposed ritual and nothing more. Ladies, these things appear to be wise and the means to worship, but they are not. Just like I thought I would be more spiritual by achieving thinness. Where did I get that idea? Not from God, did I? From man. Remember, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on what? The heart. He looks on the heart. And yet some Christians give us an idea that that is worship following man-made rules. Paul also says it's a false humility, a mock humility. Um, It's like the humility mentioned in verse 18, if you remember, that the false teachers possess. Um, That kind of humility has them talking about things they've never seen. They're vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. You know what they do? They substitute a self-manufactured humility that glorifies themselves but not God. Ladies, when humility becomes self conscious then it ceases to be humility because true humility doesn't draw attention to yourself, right? True humility. I think what Jesus says, if you want to be, if you want to be first of all, what be servant of all, be the servant In fact, it's the humility that Paul writes about when he speaks of our Lord. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even the death of a cross. That's humility, right? Dying to yourself for the sake of others. That's quite a contrast from the false teachers, right? You know what false teachers do? They pamper themselves. They want to take others down the heretical path with them. In fact, the Bible says many follow after them. And, you know, that was the issue we addressed a couple of years ago when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when Jesus was, was rebuking the scribes and Pharisees for all their outward works of prayer and fasting and giving to the poor? They wanted to be what? Seen by men. And Jesus pronounces woes on them they had a false humility they were puffed up notice what paul says these things have an appearance of piety and true worship but you know what they really are notice what he says he says they are of, they are neglect of the body they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh what's he saying you know what these things really do they neglect the body they do cruelty to the body these things are hard on your body. Ladies, God made our bodies, and practicing asceticism treats the body harshly. You know, when we practice asceticism, we do not consider that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore glorify God in your Body. in fact he says you've been bought with the price the precious blood of christ and so therefore glorify god in your body ladies glorifying god with our bodies does not mean abusing them or neglecting them john macarthur says this any asceticism is a great deal more to men's taste than abandoning self they will rather stick hooks in their backs and do the swinging puha. I had to look up that word. It's a dance and do the swinging puha. than give up their sins and yield up their wills. There is only one thing that will put the collar on the neck of the animal within us. And that is the power of the indwelling Christ. Ascetic religion is godless for its practitioners essentially worship themselves. It's really true, right? In fact, ladies, some in the past and even in the present have taken this to to the ridiculous. According to history, one monk I read about never changed his vest or washed his feet. Can you imagine? Another monk who spent the last 30 years of his life on top of a 60-foot pillar outdid that one. He thought the path to spirituality lay in exposing his body to the elements and withdrawing from the world. In fact, uh, we just got finished celebrating Reformation Do you know Martin Luther, before salvation, almost wrecked his health through asceticism? Ladies, what I was doing to my body by starving it could have eventually led to my death. In fact, do you know when I was anorexic for a year, Karen Carpenter died? Do you know what she, she's a singer, you know what she died of? Anorexia. Who knows what damage I did to my body that year? As I mentioned, my teeth were falling, my teeth were decaying, my hair was falling out. I stopped menstruating for a year. I remember my husband was doing some counseling classes at that time from a Christian college, and he said, "Susan, you are doing irreversible damage to your lungs and your heart." Is that glorifying God with the body that He gave me? No. Was it the means to my spiritual growth? No even though I thought it was. Now, ladies, at least you think there are not times we have to deny ourselves physically. I'm not saying that. There are times we do. I mean, probably all of us in this room are on some kind of a diet right now to lose the excess Christmas weight, right? But many times we do go. Many times missionaries have to go without food for various reasons, or you might choose to fast for spiritual reasons. That's good, and that's godly. But we should not do these things if we think the end will bring favor with God or if we think it's the means to our spiritual growth. You know, I think about Paul. He went hungry. He was thirsty. He was cold. He was naked. I mean, did Paul do all this so he could puff himself up and say, you know, look how religious I am? No. These were the circumstances that God divinely put in his life when he was traveling all over sharing the gospel. He didn't do it to gain favor with God. In fact, uh, he enjoyed them, I guess, so much more. He says he gloried in the infirmities so that the power of God would rest upon him. But he didn't inflict these things upon himself. Paul was not seeking self-glorification. Ladies, we have a responsibility to take care of our bodies and not abuse it with neglect or harsh treatment. Notice what Paul says. He says, these things are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What does he mean? These things do not gratify our flesh. You know what happens when we endeavor to live by self-made rules and religion? We think we're wise. And yet there's absolutely no value other than to feed our flesh, right? When you and I deny our body certain things, it only makes our flesh want them more, right? In fact, Paul says the law said thou shalt not covet. So what did I do? I coveted, right? These things do not help our spiritual life. They hinder it. In fact, one man put it this way. A man might whip and fast himself into a walking skeleton, and yet the spirit within him might have all its lust unconquered. It's like, you know, when you ever tried to stick to a rigid diet, I have many times. It only arouses the flesh for what more food. In fact, I remember when I was anorexic that year, I would just just I was starving all the time. I was starving myself to death, but I was starving all the time thinking I just can't wait to be thin enough so I could eat. I was lusting after food all day. What was I doing? I was sinning because I was lusting for food all day. That is not satisfying the flesh. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, I remember having a conversation with Doug during that time and he said, Susan, when we get to heaven, God may get on to me because I'm overweight, but he's going to get on to you because of your obsession, obsession with being thin. And I thought, yeah, that's probably true. Paul says, notice what he says. It serves to puff you up. That's all it does to inflate your flesh. So asceticism is dangerous. Why? Well, there's four reasons it's dangerous According to the Bible Number one, all that stuff's going to perish Right? It's going to perish We just saw, you know, the kingdom of God Is not food and drink, it's righteousness Joy and the Holy Spirit Secondly, the second reason it's dangerous It's after the commandments Of men and not God Thirdly It's dangerous Because it feeds Our pride Fourthly It's dangerous because it promotes a harsh treatment of our bodies. It does not. And number five, I gave you said four, but there's really five reasons. Lastly, it does not gratify your flesh. It doesn't gratify the flesh. It only arouses the flesh. So ladies, do you have any forms of asceticism in your life? Do you think by denying yourself certain things, you will be more spiritual? Do you treat your body in harsh ways, thinking that will earn you favor with God? Asceticism, remember, promotes pride, not humility. It's also a substitute for a meaningful relationship with Christ because it leads you away from Christ and the fullness that we have in him alone. Because, you see, if I can soothe my conscience with a list of do's and don'ts, don't do this, don't touch that, don't taste that, don't handle that, then I don't have to be forced to be face-to-face with the living God and have my sin exposed. And ladies, usually I have found in my own life, for me it was this to a T. People who practice asceticism usually do so out of a guilty conscience. I had a very guilty conscience. You've heard my testimony. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ a year later, all that guilt went away, the guilt of all my sin and living a life of hypocrisy. Christ died for our guilty conscience, right? Praise God. He came into the world to take away our sins. Also, we need to remember this as we close chapter 2 and before we get into the practical stuff. When we practice mysticism, legalism, and asceticism, it is confusing to new Christians who think that is the key to spiritual growth. That's what I need to do. That's what I thought. I thought, oh, I need to be thin like her. I really respect her. And so, you know, she was a big name out there, wrote books. And I go, I want to be just like her. And I thought that was the key to my spiritual life. And then what happens is we end up worshiping ourselves and not God. The biggest reason, however, to avoid these three isms is because of our heart. It reveals our heart. The writer to the Hebrew says it well. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established with what? With grace and not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Ladies, our hearts need to be established with grace, nourished with the good works of Christ, not with the guilt producing works of men. In closing, one man said it better, far better than I can. so I wanted to close with his words. He says, the answer to legalism is the continued realization of the grace of Christ. The answer to mystics is an understanding of how profoundly we are related to Christ. The answer to asceticism is the reckoning that we have been dead, buried, and are now resurrected with Christ. The answer in where it all began is at the foot of the cross. And he goes on to say this. I have seen in my own life and the lives of those that I have counseled that there is a tendency to move away from where we had our beginning, the cross, all our theology, all our preaching, all our singing, all our hymns, all the disciplines of the life experienced in family and relationships are meant to keep us right at the foot of the cross, simply drinking long and deep from the fountainhead. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Father, I want to thank you personally for rescuing me out of legalism, asceticism, and Lord, I thank you that you have giving, given me a new life in Christ. No longer do I have to be um, thinking of man's rules and living in bondage and guilt. I pray, Father, that if there is anybody here this evening or any of our ladies, Lord, that are caught up in any of these three things that Paul warns the church of, legalism, mysticism, asceticism, I pray, God, that you would give them the grace to repent, to turn from those things and turn to Christ alone for sufficiency. Father, I thank you that you have given us bodies to serve you, and I do pray, Lord, that we would keep them fit for service, that that would be our goal, not to achieve some spirituality, but to be fit for the master's use. Thank you for, again, this time, and I do pray our time together in our groups would be encouraging and strengthening to our walks with you. And I pray that you'll bring our sisters back next week as we begin chapter 3 and that beloved put-off, put-on chapter that Paul so beautifully writes for us and for the church. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.